Brighter Media Group Original. For three days in April 1972, Charlie Duke lived on the moon, and he had a great time. Hey, John, this is perfect with the limb and the rover and you and, and uh, Stone Mountain and the old flag. Come on out here and give me a salute. Big Navy salute. Almost 40 years ago, one of my best friends gave me some profound advice. He took Bible wisdom and put it in a way that I've never forgotten and still use today with the help of Charlie Duke. Welcome to Long Story Short, a podcast about living an intentional life. I'm David Paul. We're going to start with Charlie Duke, who has lived a most fascinating life. He was born a twin. That alone makes for a fascinating childhood, always having a playmate that looks just like you. Charlie went to the Naval Academy in Annapolis and eventually joined the Air Force so he could learn how to fly. Charlie became a fighter pilot and was stationed in Germany for three years. After that, he taught other people how to fly before deciding he wanted a new adventure. So Charlie Duke applied to NASA to become an astronaut. This was in the 60s, as NASA was working hard to eventually send people to the moon. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. In 1966, Charlie Duke became an astronaut. And guess who was part of that historic Apollo 11 moon landing three years later? Charlie Duke. Now, to be clear, Charlie didn't actually go to the moon on July 20th, 1969. He went to a big room in Houston called Mission Control. You see, Mission Control always uses astronauts on the ground to talk to the astronauts in space. The astronauts in Mission Control are called Capsule Communicators, or CAPCOM for short. On Sunday afternoon, July 20th, 1969, the world was watching and listening as Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin guided their little lunar module to the first landing ever on the moon. Contact light. Okay, engine stop. APA at a descent. Boat control, both auto descent, engine command override off. Engine arm off. 413 is in. I know, that makes no sense. That's Buzz Aldrin in the moments right after he and Neil landed on the moon. He's running through all the technical stuff, switches they had to set just so. And by the way, they almost didn't land. There was a computer alarm, and then they almost ran out of fuel. They had like 12 seconds of fuel left. But they landed, and the world cheered. And guess who was the Capcom when that happened? Charlie Duke. Houston, uh... Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Charlie Duke will forever be known as the first person in history to talk to someone on the moon. Charlie's next adventure was with Apollo 13. Remember Apollo 13? Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. This is Houston, say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Those three astronauts almost didn't make it home, but they did 
thanks to Mission Control, who figured it all out after there was an explosion on board the spacecraft. So what did Charlie Duke have to do with that mission? He was part of the backup crew. These are astronauts who train just like they're flying the mission in case somebody on the primary crew can't. And guess what? Two days before Apollo 13 was scheduled to lift off, that happened. NASA had to replace one of the primary crew with one of the backups. No, it wasn't Charlie, but he was the reason for that switch. He even got a mention in the movie Apollo 13 starring Tom Hanks. Tom played astronaut Jim Lovell, who was the commander of that mission. Fredo and I are going to be going over the lunar surface experiments tomorrow, and Ken's going to be back in the simulator. We're going to be going over the flight plan tonight as well. We're going to pay a visit to this beautiful machine after you're hard down. Thanks. Jim, we've got a problem. I just got some blood work back from the lab. Charlie Duke has the measles. So we need a new backup. You've all been exposed to it. Well, I've had the measles. Ken Mattingly hasn't. Two days before liftoff, Ken Mattingly was replaced by Jack Swigert thanks to Charlie Duke and the measles. Two years after the famous Apollo 13 mission, Charlie Duke finally got to fly in space for the first time with Apollo 16. He spent three days on the moon with John Young. You gotta love Charlie's reaction when they landed. Neil Armstrong said, Houston, Houston, uh... Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Charlie wasn't quite that poetic. Here's Charlie talking through the final 80 feet to lunar touchdown. Okay, 80 feet, 93, looking super. There's Scott. Okay, down at 3, 50 feet, down at 4. Give me one click up. Backing up slightly. Okay, two down. Stand by for contact. Let her down. You level off. Let her on down. Okay, step 6%. 20 fat. Contact. Stop. Move. Okay, Engine on. Engine arm. Wow! Orion was the name of their lunar module. And did you catch Charlie's... None of the other 11 astronauts who walked on the moon ever came close to that kind of exuberance when they got there. Charlie Duke and John Young not only walked on the moon, they also got to drive on it. Apollo 16 was one of the three missions that used the lunar rover, a moon car that could go about 10 miles an hour. John drove, Charlie navigated. Charlie Duke got to live on the moon for three days. He never went into space again. He left NASA about four years later and started a Coors beer distributor business that he ran for a couple of years before selling at a nice profit. Soon after, in 1978, Charlie gave his life to Jesus. That's something he still loves talking about. Here's Charlie during a 2019 presentation to an auditorium of students at Western Carolina University. So, Charlie, when you came back from 
from the moon, how did that affect things in your in your normal life and, and things for your for your family? What what was that like for, for you and, and for them as well? Well, uh, the uh, the problem in your married life and a family life was that we lived in Houston, but we trained in Florida. So for three years, I was basically gone all the time. So it was real tough on uh, Dorothy and uh, the kids. The, the flight was not a spiritual experience. It was not a, a philosophical experience. It was just an adventure for me. And uh, marriage got worse and worse. And uh, so finally, uh, uh, Dorothy came to, uh, to faith and uh, after a weekend at our church and she tried everything but Jesus. And she said, okay, Lord, come into my life. And she, I watched her change two and a half years later I had a similar commitment, a similar experience after, uh, after a Bible study at a tennis club, actually. And uh, yeah, strange place, but God showed up and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I realized I'm playing church. I, this is real. And I said, Lord, come into my life. And that started to change in my life. I experienced peace. We started praying together and uh, working on our relationship. and. And now we've been at it, uh, still working on our relationship, but now <laughs> uh, 44 years we've been at it. So it's been, uh, it's been a blessing. Thank you. Hi, my name is Tracy Tiernan. Could you use a little extra sunshine in your day? <laughs> Could you use a little hope? Well, then I want to invite you to check out my podcast, Your Day Brighter. Each week, I have rich conversation with amazing people who are making a real difference in this world. Some of my guests you've heard of. I ask God questions without questioning God. And God is just, he's got to refine the hell out of us. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm here. Doesn't look like I can speed my way out of this one. So, Lord... What do you have to show me while I'm here? You think you know those voices? I bet you do. But there's also very special guests on my podcast that you haven't heard of yet. And I can't wait to introduce you. I promise you'll feel encouraged and you'll learn practical ways to live a more positive, joy-filled life. I hope you'll stop by for a listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or you can go to 951shinefm.com and click the Your Day Brighter link. Let's add some light and love and hope to our world. When Ava and I got married in 1984, Mike Foster was one of my best friends, a treasured friend. Part of our friendship was a weekly mentoring get-together. During one of those, I think at an Orioles game, Mike gave me some advice that I have never forgotten. He told me to not try and draw life from a non-life-giving source. A few years later, Mike and his family moved to Georgia. That was hard news for me to hear. And you know how those things go. You stay in touch for a while and then, well, anyhow. I thought it would be fun to reconnect with my old friend and let him explain the advice he gave me, which I've never forgotten. Hello, this is Mike. Hi, Mike. David Paul, how are you? Hi, Dave. How are you doing? I'm well. It has been a long time, hasn't it? <laughs> Much too long. Well, <laughs> we're, we're working on 30 years being here, so 
Yes, it's been a long time. My goodness. Hey, I've got a, uh, a an odd question for you. Years ago, it was around when Ava and I got married, either a little bit before, a little bit after, I can't remember when. You gave me a piece of advice that I have never forgotten. The advice was, don't try and draw life from a non-life-giving source. Do you remember telling me that? Well, you know, frankly, I, um, I I don't remember the conversation, but but it is a principle that I've embraced for a long time. Um, it, it's it's the idea that, um, at least for me, it's an excessive and I, I, I'd say an ultimately futile attempt, whether it's conscious or not, to cling onto enjoyable experiences that inevitably come to an end. So, in other words, it's. Um, it's, it's like trying to suck the life out of some pleasurable experience that simply isn't designed to offer non-ending satisfaction. And to, there's, there's just nothing inherent in the experience that provides it. So there's no point in frustrating myself and becoming discontent and trying. Think of anything that, that you enjoy that you may be inclined to just try to grab onto and not let go. So it could be a vacation, it could be time with your children or grandchildren, a song, you know, that's moving to you. Um, even for me, uh, like an emotional attachment to the fortunes of a sports team, the, the thought of trying to squeeze out of our experiences something that just is not, is not inherently available in them. I'm prone to do that. I'm prone to try and draw life out of a non-life-giving source, something God gave me to enjoy but never designed to be life-giving. For example, and I'm going to get real here, those Apollo moon missions, and there were six that actually landed on the moon. I can't get enough. I've read just about every book that has been written about this part of American history. I've watched the documentaries. 2019 was the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, and a bunch of new books, films, and special podcasts were released. I devoured them all. I'm also collecting autographed pictures of the 12 astronauts who walked on the moon. I have seven, including four that are personally made out to me. When we moved into our new house, I took great pleasure in reframing each picture and hanging them just so in my home office. I love it. But if I'm not careful, I find myself trying to draw life from this unique part of American history that I find fascinating. In other words, I can't get enough. And isn't that exactly what my friend Mike was talking about? Can't get enough? In 1999, I got to talk to Charlie Duke. I thought it would be cool to interview him for the morning program I hosted then. I found a number on his website and called, hoping to talk with someone who might be able to connect with him and arrange an interview at some point in the future. I had all my talking points ready to convince whoever answered the phone that this would be a good interview for Charlie to do. I had to persuade the gatekeeper. I dialed the number, heard the phone ring, and guess who answered? Charlie Duke. I'm sure in those first few seconds I sounded a little dumb and fumbled around a bit, but I did manage to ask for the interview. Charlie said, sure, how about tomorrow? (laughs) Can you imagine how much fun I had doing this interview? For Apollo 
2011, you were the landing Capcom. What exactly is that? Well, uh, on every mission uh, from the very beginning uh, of manned spaceflight until even today, the uh, communicator from mission control to the spacecraft is an astronaut. So I was communicating. I was the other voice that was heard uh, during the descent and landing of the first uh, landing on the moon. It was a great thrill. Now, obviously, you were aware before the afternoon of July 20th, 1969, that if all went well, you would be the first person on Earth to speak with Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin after they landed on the moon. Did you give any thought to what you might say to them? Uh, not a bit. No, we, uh, it never entered my mind that that was going to be such a, uh, I knew it was going to be a historic moment, but I felt it was more historic from their side than our side, uh, being in mission control. and. I never, uh, uh, never gave it a moment's thought. Of course, later that evening, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first two men to walk on the moon, but certainly they weren't the last. A little less than uh, three years later, you were also able to share that experience. When did you find out that you would be going to the moon? Well, uh, right after Apollo 11, uh, Neil, Buzz, and Mike got back. Uh, we had a, a, a pilots meeting, astronauts meeting, and. Uh, in a sort of a debriefing with them and it was announced that I would be on the backup crew for Apollo 13 which the way the cycle was going if all went well uh, we didn't have an accident we completed our training successfully they didn't cancel emissions uh, we would cycle into Apollo 16 and we would fly Apollo 16 whenever that was and that's the way it turned out uh, so uh, basically I knew uh, within a month after the first landing on the moon that if all went well and the program wasn't canceled, uh, I would uh, get to go to the moon on Apollo 16. Now you spent uh, 71 hours on the moon, during which time you and John Young did three excursions on the surface. Have you ever done an interview where you haven't been asked what it's like to walk on the moon? Uh, never, never, huh? All right, well this will be the first. <laughs> uh, well, good. What I want to know is what was it like sleeping on the moon? Well, uh, in gravity, uh, it was a, a pretty neat experience. We had one-sixth gravity, which meant you were one-sixth your weight here on Earth. And uh, it was uh, difficult to get to sleep because you're in such an exciting environment. And golly, wow, what did we see today? What are we going to do tomorrow? You know, and that was neat going up the hill. And, you know, just kept rehashing everything that you'd done. Uh, the previous uh, excursion, so it was difficult to get to sleep, but once you got to sleep, it was very, uh, very refreshing. Before you left the moon, you actually left something, a uh, personal artifact behind, didn't you? Uh, uh, actually, a couple of things. Uh, it was the 25th anniversary of the Air Force, uh, so we had a special medal uh, struck that was commemorated the uh, 25th anniversary of the United States Air Force. I left one of those brought one back uh, but the real personal part was I had a picture of my taken of my family in our backyard uh, in El Lago Texas uh, of my wife and me and my two sons and we uh, all signed a picture and on the back of it I'd written uh, this is the family of astronaut Charlie Duke who landed on the moon uh, 20th of April 1972 and uh, a few other words, and all the, we all signed it. So that was a big deal to get them, the kids all involved in the mission. And so I dropped that picture on the moon and took a picture of the picture. And uh, most uh, of the uh, you know coffee table type books that uh, 
uh, uh, honor Apollo or uh, have that picture in it. It's been 27 years since you walked on the moon. How often do you think back to that experience, and, and what perspective does your faith add to it? Well, I see it totally in a different light now. Uh, back in those days, it was mostly from an evolutionary viewpoint, you know, the Big Bang, and it's all an accident, and here we are, and this, uh, 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 and here we are, you know, billions of years later type uh, scenario. But now I, uh, I look at it from a standpoint of the heavens declare the glory of God, and I can see God's handiwork, uh, the orderliness of the universe, the beauty of it all, uh, uh, the intricacy of God's design uh, into uh, every living thing. And so I see now uh, a, a God's love for his creation. And so it, it's a different perspective. I, I, while I was on the moon and in space, I believe there was a God, but he was, it was something that was just dif- distant out there. But now it's it's real and personal, and and I and I just uh, praise God for the, the the beauty of creation and His omnipotence and uh, uh, His uh, the mighty power and the fact that He just spoke it into existence is it just boggles my mind. After that interview, I learned something else about Charlie Duke. It was the thing that God used to open Charlie's heart to a relationship with him. And it's the perfect reminder when I start trying to squeeze life out of my interest in the very thing Charlie got to experience firsthand. 36 years old, I had 12, one of the 12 guys that walked on the moon. I was at the top of my career, at the top of the very top. And I thought to me, what are you going to do now with the rest of your life? See, that drive that took me to the moon is still inside. And it was not satisfied by getting to the top of the ladder. Isn't that perfect? Even Charlie Duke couldn't squeeze everlasting satisfaction out of his Apollo moon mission. When I start feeling I can't get enough and try to squeeze more out of this interest, I'm reminded Charlie lived it and it wasn't enough for him. There's a story in the Bible of Jesus and a woman at the well in Samaria. And Jesus says to this woman, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. It's good and right to enjoy God's gifts, the experiences, the relationships, even the desire for knowledge, all good gifts from God but they alone are not meant to satisfy. They alone will leave me thirsty. It's a powerful reminder not to confuse the gifts with the gift giver. Long Story Short is a production of Brighter Media Group. John Lawhon is the executive producer. Special thanks to Todd Gaddy, Caroline Burke, and Aaron Branham for their help in making this podcast happen. This is Season 1 of Long Story Short, 10 different stories about interesting people, events, and circumstances helping us to live just a bit more intentionally. 
If you subscribe, each episode will be waiting for you after it's released early on Tuesday mornings. We welcome your comments and would you consider rating the podcast? Comments and ratings will help us improve Long Story Short and make it even better for you. Next time on Long Story Short, that would be that would be a treasure beyond words to, to me and to my family. Well, that's it for this episode of Long Story Short. We hope you'll join us again next week. Thanks so much for listening.